Hello and welcome to our very first episode of Series 2, Behind the Sounds. Uh, my guest today has written for artists such as Tim McGraw, Rascal Flats, Mickey Guyton. It is a lovely Jen Shot. Thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm good, Leah. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you so much for being here. Um, we've got a lot to get through because you, as we'll talk about, have had some amazing hits and an amazing career. Um, but just to start off, take me back to kind of where it started. I know kind of from, from my research and things, you come from a very musical family, a uh, very musical background. What was it like growing up? Where did your love of music come from? Yes, I mean, I think coming out of the womb, I already loved music because um, on both sides, my mom and my dad, um, there was music. So my mom, her father um, was a violinist in New York City and um, played with the CBS Orchestra there. And then my mom is a flutist and um, my dad uh, was a professor of woodwinds and taught clarinet, saxophone and flute at Pittsburgh State University in Pittsburgh, Kansas. And so, yeah, there was music on both sides. There was always music playing in the house. And so um, I think there was no getting around it for me. I was gonna. I was gonna be in music one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. And do you remember kind of when you first realized? Like, was it kind of you knew it was you had to do it, or it was you wanted to do it? Do you remember you know, that realization? Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because as a kid, it was just kind of intrinsic to make up a song or play play something on the piano. Um, but I didn't, I didn't see it as a career as a kid. Um, I think maybe because my mom and dad did it, had their own, I mean, it was a different type of music, but um, I don't know. I didn't, when I was in high school, um, I thought, if you would have asked me when I was maybe like a junior in high school, I would have said, I want to go to Broadway and be yeah. in musical theater. Like I grew up, that was one great thing of having musical parents is every summer, they would be in the orchestra pit for the um, university musical theater or the community musical theater. And they would take me to all the rehearsals. And I remember being about seven or eight and I'm like, if you're gonna take me to these rehearsals, let me audition and let, if I'm gonna be sitting here, maybe I can be productive. So I started doing musical theater every summer and loved it. So that's what I thought maybe was what I was going to do. Um, and it wasn't really until Gosh, it was probably college. It was college when I knew that music, that especially country music, was going to be a big, um, a big part of my life. So I worked at a country radio station on my summer's home from college, KKOW Radio in Pittsburgh, Kansas. And it was, I was hearing these great songs. It was the mid-90s. There was great music. And so many amazing female artists, golly, at that time. And that was kind of my schooling into country music. I mean, I'd listened to a little before, but, you know, eight hours a day it was being piped through the station. And that, that I feel like is what kind of turned my ship for yeah. uh, country music. Yeah. Amazing. And was it you wanted to be a performer, an artist? What made you kind of go into writing mainly? Yeah. So, um, I wrote songs, I mean, they were iffy, but I wrote some songs when I was in, in high school on piano. It was before I played guitar, but I did not know 
that you could be a songwriter. I have never thought about who wrote the songs. I think I probably just assumed like many people do that, oh, the artist writes the song. Um, and being from a small town, I wasn't really exposed to uh, songwriting as a career. Um, so yeah, I thought, I thought I wanted to come to Nashville to be a performing artist and to sing. Um, that was what, it wasn't really till I got to Nashville that I realized you could be a songwriter and that's kind of when I refocused. Yeah. Yeah. When you first made the move to Nashville, this is something I always find really interesting. When you make that move, mm -hmm. what did you do initially? Like, did you find a random job or like, where did you live? What was it like <laughs> making that, that, cause it's a big move. And obviously um, I think probably more so now, as you said, like a lot of people know that you can come to be a songwriter, but back then when you wanted to come and be an artist, what, what, what did you do? Did you have a plan? Um, yes and no. So I, if you would have asked me in my second semester of my senior year of college, what I was going to be doing, my plan was to, I had been offered a job um, at a public relations firm in Kansas City, Missouri. It is where I interned. Um, in between my junior and senior year, I was a journalism major. And so they, it was a great internship, great firm, and they had offered me a job when I graduated. So that, there was this national thing pulling at me, but I was like, well, the, the, the logistical, you know, the thing that feels like the most rational would be going back to Kansas City. Um, and I had a conversation with one of my uh, journalism professors and advertising was my emphasis. Her name was Suzette Hyman. And she was just asking each of us um, as seniors what our plans were. And, you know, I sat down across from her and I told her, I said, well, I think, you know, I'm going to take this job in Kansas City, but that eventually I might want to move to Nashville and be in the music business. And she just stopped me right there. And she was like, why eventually? She said, why wouldn't you leave? In May when you got or why wouldn't you go immediately after graduation I'm like you know what I had not I don't know I had not thought of that and so she really kind of um, was a big influence in making me start to research Nashville and all these things and I knew I knew that yeah you can't just show up to Nashville and get a record deal or start performing and so um, I thought well if I could just get a job in the business and start learning and making contacts and so I maybe about a month after graduation I flew to Nashville by myself with a stack of resumes. <laughs> and I don't know if this is even work today, but I literally walked up and down Music Row with my resumes. And some people were very, you know, were like, yeah, we'll take one. Some were like, we don't take outside, you know, unsolicited job hunters. But um, I had done a little research too and and um and went into the CMA building, there was a man there that had sent me a bunch of information about PR firms because I thought, oh, maybe I could get a, a job at a, you know, a music uh, PR firm. And I, I just went in to thank him to see well face to face. And um, it, he wasn't there that day, but the people there were so nice to me. I mean, here I am just literally off the street. And they said, well, he's not here, but would you like a tour of the building? <laughs> I said, yeah. And so they took me through the building and somebody overheard me saying that I was looking for a job. And they said, well, there is a publishing company down the street that is looking for a receptionist. Here's the name of the person you need to talk to and tell them I sent you. And so I called, I got an interview, interviewed twice, got offered the job, flew home to Kansas, packed, and like a week later moved 
um, with the help of my parents, we packed everything up and moved to Nashville. And I didn't have, um, I didn't have a place to stay yet. I stayed, I stayed with my parents in a hotel a couple of nights while getting an apartment. And that was asking some people at work. Um, but what was so great and just kind of fortuitous is that that job was at a music publishing company. Um, and that was my one-on-one into yeah. learning about songwriting. So I got lucky and how yeah. that all lined up. <laughs> Amazing. And starting obviously kind of on the other side of it, did you, do you feel like it really helped you in the long run, like learning the back, the back side of it, the things that people necessarily don't see how everything works. Do you feel like now and, and throughout kind of your career, it's really benefited you? I do. I do. And, you know, um, in Nashville, there are a couple of awesome music business programs and colleges. And, um, I had learned about one of those, but I was already, uh, you know, a year away from graduating, um, at the university of Missouri, I was too late. And so for me, it was, that was kind of my education. And I'm really glad that I got to see kind of the inner workings of, um, you know, what the songwriters were doing every day, coming in, co-writing, getting to witness what a demo session looked like, but also the business side of things. I think, you know, as a songwriter, yeah, I'm a creative, but I'm also a business. And it was very interesting to see that side of how things operated. Plus, sitting at a front desk of a company, I was meeting everybody that came through the door, which was wonderful, you know, for the future. Yeah, amazing. And then from that, how did you get into kind of starting to write songs, starting to make music. Did you write with some of the songwriters from the publishing company or did you go out to kind of Broadway and, and meet people? How did it work for you to actually get into them writing sessions? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm always like, how did that happen? <laughs> um, well, I do know that one of the first things I did when I moved to town was um, get serious about taking some guitar lessons because I'd gotten a guitar senior year of college, but I had learned about three chords and stopped. And so I did some asking around and learned about a great guitar teacher here in town by the name of Ellen Britton, started studying with her. And she made it really fun and interesting. I would take in songs that I loved and learn those and then apply those to how I was writing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I didn't write with anybody at the publishing company at that point, but um, started just meeting some other young up and coming writers that were willing to write at night because we all have full-time jobs during the day. And so that kind of just happened organically. And, and, you know, you met with one writer and then that would lead you to the next and to the next. And, did about a year of that and then started doing some writer's nights, um, got brave enough because it was, you know, still not feeling super confident on the guitar at that point. And, um, but yeah, and through, and then through writer's nights was a great way to meet other writers to start working with. Yeah. Amazing. And do you remember how long it was from like that initial move to when you first kind of got your first cut or your first artist that was interested in your song? Yeah, well, I can, I know time-wise, so I remember I moved here, I moved to Nashville in um, July of 1997, and I signed my first publishing deal in July of 2000. So it was, that was, that process was three years. Yeah. And, um, and I remember at that time being, you know, being, being so anxious and excited and ready to get that opportunity. But then I also remember feeling not ready as far as where my writing was but I was so grateful that a company believed in my potential and signed me at that point. And then from there, it took, I think it was a couple years before I had a cut. Yeah, it was probably 2002, 
maybe something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember what your first cut was? I do have to, uh, oh yeah, <laughs> I have to look because the band, the band name is um, Malibu Storm and uh, a producer in town, Mark Bright. Um, it was a song that I, I remember because a lot of my songs, you know, right during the day and I remember getting up in the middle of the night, I had been going through a breakup and I started writing this song. And then I brought in another writer on it who I thought would be a great fit for it. And I was so happy because it came from kind of a true place. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was called Faith Give Me a Little More. And they and Malibu Storm cut it. And then I remember running into Mark, the producer, and he um, was kind enough to call me into his office and let me hear the cut, which is always, you know, yeah. exciting, especially that first one, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, then oh, so go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, the first one that made it to the radio was soon after. It was on Restless Heart. And I think that was uh, I can't, 2003, 4, 3, I think. Anyway, but yeah, I remember, you know, that moment. I was, I tried to hear it in Nashville. Could never catch it on the radio. Mm -hmm. And then I um, was in L.A. in a car with a friend driving down the freeway. And it came on. Um, and that was, I'll never forget that moment because that's a... That's a big one, getting your first song on the radio. Yeah, I can imagine. And what what was it like, that kind of process? Was it a long process from writing that song to actually getting it cut, getting it recorded, getting it on the radio? Did it feel really long to, obviously you were saying you didn't hear it for a while, but actually kind of the, the process of it, did it feel like a long time? It did, and I think too, especially at the beginning where you know, for so long, you're just writing, writing, and you're not seeing those results. And so, yeah, it felt long. I can't remember exactly how long it was. It probably wasn't as long as I've waited on some other things, <laughs> but it felt, it felt long <laughs> at the time. Yeah. And then, so things started obviously picking up for you. You had quite a few cuts, 2005 onwards, like bands like Lone Star, etc. Was there anything that stood out in particular you thought right I'm here now I'm on a roll let's keep going were there any songs or cuts that you had that you were like this is it this is my my big break we're gonna go from here you know I mean I think I don't know I don't know that I have that of like this is my big break I think I think I'm very grateful every time a song gets cut. And I remember, yeah, there started to be a little bit of momentum, but I had been in town long enough to know and still know, you know, celebrate everything that happens, celebrate every song that goes on hold for an artist, every cut. And of course, if it's a single, definitely celebrate that because it's not um, a linear process mm -hmm. necessarily you may have cut 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 and like this amazing momentum and then it may get quiet for a little bit and then it may happen again and it's like everybody's career trajectory is slightly different that way and yeah we all want this but it, it's you know it can be all kinds of ways so yeah I think yeah there's like when that door starts to crack open you as a writer or at least me as a writer I'm like how do I keep that door open mm -hmm. as long as possible you know um but yeah, just, and I still feel that way. Like, how do I keep the door open as long as yeah. possible? Keep challenging myself and keep trying to get better as a writer. Yeah, know? amazing. And like, I'm going to fast forward a few years now and zone in on some, some songs in particular. Um, one that I know was probably a huge game changer for you, um, Tim McGraw cut Two Lanes of Freedom. It wasn't just a cut, it was the title of the album, the title of the tour, 
what was that like can you tell me about pretty much start to finish from that song so where did it come from um I know obviously wrote it with Jaron Johnston so where did that idea come from yeah so Jaron and I were booked to write it was a nice spring day and uh, and we knew we'd written a handful of songs together at that point and um he had just had his first number one on Keith Urban and he was going to buy a new car that day like when we got done writing he was literally going to buy a car and so it just was like kind of a good mood kind of a day and he started just kind of playing this lick on the guitar which is the lick you'll hear you hear in the song and uh, we didn't really have a title we just kind of started writing um which is not typically how I write but sometimes it's really fun to just kind of see where it goes we just kind of started writing and we came to the place where the hook was supposed to be and um, I remember being like, what about Four Lanes of Freedom? Like, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's totally it, Four Lanes of Freedom. And then we were like, oh, Four Lanes seems more like a traffic jam. <laughs> <laughs> Two Lanes seems much more wide open and stuff. So I, I do remember that. And we wrote it pretty quickly. And um, I mean, I feel like it was maybe early in the week, like maybe a Monday or a Tuesday. And by Friday, Jaron is super talented. He went home and did a, like a demo of it at home. And by Friday, he had turned it into his publisher and she had gotten it on hold for Tim McGraw. I mean, it went, it, that happened very quickly. Mm -hmm. And then I really feel like it was maybe just a couple weeks and he cut it. I mean, that, that part of the process was quick. Um, we we're like, oh my gosh, it's on hold. He cut it. Oh my gosh. And then, then it went, then we had to wait, 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 wait. That felt like a long time because, mm -hmm. um, we we got it got cut in the spring and then it didn't we didn't even know it was making the record till like November of that year um, and I remember very I remember very clearly being you know so excited about the cut because Tim McGraw I mean if I if I would have told the you know twenty one year old me at the University of Missouri at some bar listening to Tim McGraw that I would someday get a Tim McGraw cut you know um, so but we weren't sure if it was going to make the record because just because it's cut doesn't guarantee that and um, the label wasn't really disclosing any information my publisher would ask and they said I don't know I don't know and um, and then probably late October I get this email from some like PR agency and it says Tim McGraw invites you to one of those nights party during CMA week and so I was like oh this is this seems good and so I remember I forwarded that to my publisher and I'm like do you think this means we made the record? And he said, well, I'll, I'll ask the label. And again, the label still wouldn't say anything. I'm like, well, I'm going to the party because I'm yes. And then I hope I get to hear my song. And then literally, I think maybe two days before the party, um, my publisher said, check your, in check your inbox. And there was a press release saying that Tim was announcing his new album called Two Lines of Freedom. I'm like, oh my gosh. So that's how I found out we made the record. And that was pretty yeah. fun. <laughs> And then, and then live a couple nights later when he performed it. Yeah. Was that the first time you heard his, his version? Yes. Yeah. He, that night of the party, he ended up singing the whole album kind of start to finish, which was so cool. Such a neat, neat moment. And mm -hmm. that, again, that was CMA week that year. So that would have been November. And then the album came out in January. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And what is it like? So he's, Tim McGraw is quite open. He's so supportive of like new songwriters and he'll always, you know, he's not one of them artists that wants to write all of his own songs, which I love about him because there's so many songwriters that have had like their big breaks through him. 
but to, is there a difference in having like one cut and then having it be the album title as well because that's a huge thing to have I, yeah title and especially the tour what was that like i was over the moon i mean i was just so thrilled and and especially with an artist like you said like tim that is that I is so well respected and that I have loved so many of his songs. His songs have been so influential to me as a writer and as a fan over the years. So yeah, I just couldn't believe. I was so so thrilled about that. And and he had said in a couple interviews um, that, you know, our song, he was kind of at a transition in his career that our song um, had been kind of the inspiration for the album. And that was such an honor. Mm -hmm that he would think that about the song. And um, and then, yeah, the tour name, that was really cool too. And um, and I, jo I joke about this at Writer's Nights, but it's true, it's because it was the tour name, there was a bunch of, um, you know, merch with our title on it. So, you know, I have the t-shirt and I have like the cool, the koozie cup and all these things because, you know, you don't know when you're gonna get another song that's a tour name. Yeah, I'm getting all the <laughs> swag. Yeah. So, yeah. I think probably one of the beauties of it is you know that when it's an album name every all the fans are probably going to listen to that song because you always you know songs can get lost on records sometimes but I think when it's the title track fans instantly go to that one so that must sound cool and how was it when obviously the album was Grammy nominated do you remember kind of hearing like just them words like Grammy nominated album, Two Lanes of Freedom. What was that like? It was pretty great. I mean, obviously that, that for me, that was the first experience of that. I was like, oh, yeah, to hear Grammy and that title all in one was, um, yeah, it, it, incredibly exciting and honoring that they would, uh, you know, honor the album like that. And so, uh, yeah, that was exciting. Amazing. And did he, have you kind of had many discussions or, or met him in times where he's kind of spoken to you directly about the song or or anything like that has he been supportive or anything like that yeah I did um uh I did meet him it was I don't know if it was before the ACM awards that year but he and his team did a lunch basically for everybody that was involved on the album the writers and label everybody and so which I thought was so gracious that he would do that and um so I did get to go and have a conversation with him and just thank him for recording the song and and he kind of echoed what I'd said he had said in interviews about it you know the song mm -hmm. kind of a uh, the catalyst for what the album was going to be so yeah that was a pretty neat moment yeah and obviously so you'd had some, some big cuts before as, as we spoke about but did that did you find that having that cut opened any more doors for you? Did you feel like people kind of knew your name a little bit more and you could kind of go into maybe bigger writing sessions or different people? Was there more doors opened for you after that? Uh, yes, I think, I think so. I was at the beginning of a new publishing deal right around the same time. And it was kind of good timing because that was all. And so, yeah, we, uh, you know, my publisher, definitely was feeling like there were opportunities coming to us mm -hmm. as far as some new co-write um, relationships and, and so, so yeah, absolutely. I feel like it was um, a blessing on many counts. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. 
Um, and then I want to talk about, so I know you spoke at the beginning of, of this chat, obviously female artists in the 90s. The past few years, you've written for some amazing female artists and kind of people that have really started their careers with songs that you've written. So Mickey Guyton, for example, Jana Kramer, Kelly Bannon. Is there something about kind of, is there a difference writing for male artists and female artists? Do you feel different when you write with them? I mean, yeah, I think just naturally, yes. And I, and I enjoy both, I enjoy both very much. Um, but I think as a female, there's just a, uh, a connection that's just natural and, and um, can be a really great starting point mm -hmm. for writing and, and, um, and with Mickey and with Kelly, who I both wrote a lot with, it's like, yeah, to be able to have real honest conversations and let the songs, let the songs come from an honest place. Um, but yeah, of course I love writing with male artists and I love writing guy songs. Um, that's really fun too. So, you know, there's a place for both, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it's been really fun, especially with artists, you know, like you said, it's kind of at, at Kelly and Mickey were kind of both at the start of uh, their careers and yeah, to be able to, um, get to know them then and then see, you know, what they're doing now. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Especially yeah. As, so, Mickey, you wrote uh, one of the songs better than you left me, which was was it her was it her first single or one of her first singles? And yeah, she's kind of uh, I feel the kind of story with Mickey Gutton is she kind of skyrocketed at first and then went quiet for a bit, and she's obviously had an amazing year this year. Um, but what was it like? Because that song was on all the lists of kind of best songs of the year and best breakout songs. Did that feel you were like right? I'm part of this her obviously having the start of an amazing career was what was that like to be a part of that was really cool that was kind of the first time in, in my career that I had been you know part of something that launched someone else's career and and um yeah I mean and just even to go back further than that it's like the first day we wrote the first day I met Mickey was the day we wrote that song, me and Mickey and Jennifer Hansen. And, um, and it's, and it's kudos to Mickey for coming in and being on, like just laying her heart out there and be like, here's what's going on with me right now. And we wrote that, you know? Um, but yeah, it was really exciting to see that happen. And then the, the label get excited about the song and then them cut the song and, and, um, radio getting excited about it and all of those things mm -hmm. were, uh, were wonderful but yeah I'm super proud of Mickey and yeah she you're right she's had such a cool amazing year this year and um again she's speaking it from her heart it's like those songs are from the heart and and they connect because mm -hmm. of that you know and yeah. I suppose one of obviously what you're saying like she's she kind of known now especially for how honest she is as a writer and an artist and obviously putting that out as her first single could have been you know kind of risky because it wasn't you know as, as some first singles are, I suppose. What's the difference for you as a writer when kind of, so let's use Two Lanes of Freedom as an example. It's quite a chilled song. Everyone can kind of relate to it. To then having a really personable song, is there a difference in, in what it feels like to put it out or is it you're putting a record out? Um, well, I think there's both, in both, situ in, in both situations, there's just a satisfaction and, um, you know, a sense of pride that oh I, I'm part of something that made it this far because you have to think you know 
the stars literally kind of have to align for all those things to line up and the song gets, you know, get that far. But um, no, I think they both bring a lot of joy and satisfaction. And, um, but I will say, yeah, with the Mickey song, I would not have, I wouldn't have been like, this is her first single. You know what I mean? Because like you said, a lot of times they're going to lead with a song that's, you know, up tempo and all these things. So I was so excited because I don't, I, as a writer, I tend to gravitate more like I could write a ballad every day. I don't because I need my songs recorded. And so, I, you know, but I, I could do that. Every day. So I was so thrilled that, that there was such uh, belief and excitement behind it. Yeah, and it's it's such an incredible. It's one of my favorite Mickey songs. Obviously, she's had had so many since. Um, another song I wanted to ask you about. It's more of a recent song, but you you posted about it on your Instagram, and I found it really interesting. So the song you wrote with Pam Tills, um, you said you wrote it sixteen years ago. Is that right? Yes. Can you tell yes. me how a song that you wrote sixteen years ago <laughs> gets released in twenty twenty? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, that's where I'm just like, you can never rule out, you can never count out a song. You, mm -hmm. can, you just never know. So yeah, it was, um, gosh, yeah, back in the early 2000s, uh, I got to meet Pam at backstage at the Opry. I knew a couple of her, the musicians in her band, and they had invited me to come, and she was, they had played her a couple of my songs. Mm -hmm. And there was one in particular at that time that she had kind of gravitated towards it. She said, well, I'd love to write. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Pam Tillis wants to write. That's amazing. And so we, I, uh, I remember getting, like driving to her house and writing this song, the mm -hmm. uh, Karma. And, um, and yeah, and then time went by. I think, I don't know if she was switching labels. I don't know what happened, but, um, because there had been talk of that song and then the other song that I had written that she liked being recorded. And I think, I think the other song was recorded at that time, but never came out. So that was probably like 2002, three. And then, um, yeah. So then in 2013, I think it was 13. I don't know. Maybe 13. I was in, I was at lunch somewhere here in Nashville in line and I realize that it's Pam standing next to me. So I say hello, kind of reintroduce myself. And she said, oh, well, she's like, it's crazy running into you. She said, I actually just re-recorded I Envy the Sun, which was the other song. Mm -hmm. song that I, and she said, it's coming out on a new album with me and Lauren Morgan. I'm like, oh my gosh. So that was a, 10 or 11 years for that one. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was pretty amazing. And then, yeah, I was, I had no idea about the Karma song, um, a friend, a co-writer, of mine sent me a little screenshot of track listing back in February. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I can't believe this. <laughs> so yeah, that was a wonderful surprise. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you ever expect a song that you wrote 16 years ago to be kind of as relevant and, and able to get on a record today? No, I mean, I think, you know, especially as much as most of us songwriters are writing, you know, you. You remember, you have some that you remember that, you know, from them, but it's like, really, you're thinking about this year's songs in the last, you know, decade, maybe, but, you know, 16 years back, I mean, it's, yeah, and I think it does go to show, because this has happened with other songs and songs that have gone on to be um, big hits, I think God Bless the Broken Road was 11 years old, I mm -hmm. think, um, that yeah, you just again never rule out a song. And if there is a song that you really believe in, it's like dig back in and keep pitching it because you just mm -hmm. never. Yeah. Did you remember the lyrics when you heard it? 
I only knew, I only remembered like the first line of the chorus. <laughs> oh, and I, and because it was so long ago, I couldn't, on my computer, I couldn't bring up the lyric. Like it wouldn't open and I couldn't even find a work tape. I mean, yeah. So I was like, well, this is just going to be a, a wonderful, sweet surprise. <laughs> That's brilliant. And you've kind of, you've done your, uh, you just said about God Bless Broken Road. That was kind of what I was going to ask you about next. Because one of the most recent cuts you've had was with Rascal Flatts um, on their latest EP. What was it like having a cut for them? Because again, like you talk about, obviously, we're talking about Tim and Pam, like iconic voices. And then Rascal Flatts, like they just have an un, uh, such a recognizable sound. What was that like getting a cut on their record? Oh, I'm, I'm just so thrilled. I was telling this to a friend the other day that my whole career, I have been trying to get a Rascal Flatts. I mean, I have always loved what they do musically and uh, their songs. And I mean, I have tried and tried to get Rascal Flatts cut. And um, in, I can't remember, maybe 2010, nine, I did get a Rascal Flatts cut, but it didn't make the record. It didn't, they didn't end up finishing the song. Mm -hmm. Um, and have, you know, had a couple other ones that have been in the studio with them, like could cut and didn't. And so I was just so happy and I'm like, I'm so glad it's now since they're, um, this is kind of their last mm -hmm. EP as a group. So I am just thrilled because it's, yeah, again, I've, I've wanted a Rascal Flatts cut forever. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so when did you find out that it was going to be on the UP? Um, Found out in April of this year. Mm -hmm. So they, again, this was kind of a longer thing. They cut it a while ago. And so, and honestly, I had kind of ruled it out. I thought, oh, I don't, I haven't heard anything. I don't think this is probably happening. Um, and so it was a nice, it was some nice news to get in April when they said, oh, we're putting out an EP and it's on there. I'm like, oh, that's wonderful news. Yeah. Sometimes nice to not, um, not know or kind of not have the expectation and then it's a nice surprise when it happens. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And um, so obviously we're, we're chatting all about songwriting, but I did want to quickly touch on something else you do a lot of, um, which is public speaking and, and events and things. How, how did you get into that? How did you know that was something that you were good at? Well, I tell you what, I can't get, I, it was not me. I actually give credit to some dear friends of mine from college. Um, they're a couple, um, Jim Massey and Emily. And um, we all were on like the student recruitment team at the University of Missouri. And um, they had been coming through Nashville with their boys for a spring break a handful of years ago. And Jim works for a, a large corporation out of uh, Maryland. And they were, he was on a committee for their women's summit. And we were just kind of talking about while they were here, I don't know, it came up, we were talking about the music business being a woman. And I think I was, I was explaining to him how I've been told in the past, you know, looking for a publishing deal and I play them my songs and they're like, oh, I love these songs. They're like, but we already have a female writer. And their jaws just dropped. And they were like, what? I said, yeah, you know, sometimes. I don't feel like that as much right now. I feel like the industry has changed a bit. But yeah, we're like, well, we already have a female. I'm like, well, you don't say, well, we already have a male writer. But anyway, that was kind of the catalyst to Jim saying, oh, you'd be a great speaker at our women's summit. And I thought, well, I don't do that. Oh, you'd be great. You'd be great. And Emily um, is a journalist. 
um, also went to school in Mizzou and, um, and she said, well, you know, I think this would be great. And so anyway, he ran it up the flagpole at his company and, um, I got to be one of the speakers at their summit along with um, several other people. And, um, it really stretched me, um, to get out of that comfort zone of, you know, having hiding behind a guitar and actually getting to speak and kind of share the story. And, and the theme of that summit was great, I think for, well, for anybody, but I think um, is in a business where we hear a lot of no, the whole thing was um, uh, brave, forward, fearless, you know, about um, kind of picking yourself back up when you kind of get knocked down and you have to keep going. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to tell that story through my journey as a songwriter. Yeah. And so, yeah, I've gotten to do a few other, um, and, you know, several other things and, um, and kind of keep with that theme, but change it a bit depending on who the audience is. Yeah. Is it something you ever thought you'd be doing? No, <laughs> never, never. And, um, you know, but it's interesting because it's just another form of storytelling. So in a way mm -hmm. it makes complete sense. I mean, songwriting is storytelling and obviously speaking, uh, telling, telling that story. And thanks to this couple, they, they said, well, you know, you need to incorporate your music into your talk. Mm -hmm. And so that is something that I've done each time that I've spoken is I play snippets of songs throughout the talk that tie into what I'm speaking about. You know, I said, well, this song, nobody believed in and blah, blah, blah. And then it got cut or, you know, mm -hmm. tie it in somehow. So it's, it's neat that it's, it is all linked. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Definitely. And I suppose, obviously, you're missing it at the moment because you can't do it <laughs> um, with, with yeah. the current situation. But have you have you done any kind of virtual speaking? I know you were saying you've done some, like, obviously, you've done a lot of writing virtually. But have there been any events or anything you've been a part of during this? <laughs> um, I have not speaking so much. I have done a couple virtual um played a couple of virtual songs at a friend's company um, for they did like Friday lunches and I did, uh, played a few songs for them. And then I actually did a, um, thanks to another friend, a, um, a songwriting, what I called a virtual songwriting mini camp for um, a handful of kids. And we did virtual um, three days of 45 minute sessions of talking about the craft of songwriting. And then on the last day we wrote a song together and they were, you know, the kids were around nine or 10. And so, um, so yeah, so not quite the normal speech, but mm -hmm. you know, something. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's such strange times. I think anything obviously you can do and I'm sure for the kids it was a massive deal and, and was awesome um so i'm gonna kind of start to wrap things up but i do have i have three questions i ask everyone i end every interview the same because i know you're going to play for us um i call them quick fire but they never are <laughs> um so they're all about threes um so my first question for you um can you name three songs that you wish you'd written i'm sure there's loads <laughs> i can think of two right off the top of my head um i can't make you love me bonnie ray um, feels like home. Um, oh, my brain is not working. Um, but feels like home. If anyone knows that song, why I'm blanking on. Um, I'm blanking too because I can. I can the story. Anyway, it's a beautiful. Feels like home to me. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. And um, hmm, a third. I should have more than two. Um, uh, probably the house that built me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's come up a few times. Yeah, I'm sure. It's such an amazing song. Song of the Decade, wasn't it? ACM Song of the Decade, I think it was. It was, yeah. You blanked me on Feels Like Home, it's going to annoy me now. 
I know. I'm like, oh, it's driving me. I'm yeah, brain. I'm gonna say quarantine brain. I'm gonna blame it. <laughs> Um, and then this one is always a toughie as well but some people find it really easy Um, three albums that you couldn't live without oh boy well I'm going to say anything Patty Loveless Um, and I don't know that there's even a particular album but um, she was very her music was very influential to me Um, Dixie Chicks first album for sure and um Hmm. Anything Coldplay. I know that's a, that's a diversion, but yeah, Coldplay. It's a good one though. I love, I love hearing things that you wouldn't expect. Yeah. And when I did this with Jason Science, I think he said uh, Taylor Swift and I was like, yes, love that. Yeah, You just bring out the random ones. It's great. Um, And then my final question for you is three writers or artists that you haven't worked with that you would love to work with. Three writers or artists that I haven't worked with that I've, oh boy, um, Taylor Swift. I'm just gonna put it out there, Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> right, we'll talk about uh, Oh, um, gosh, I, this, um, I have always been a huge fan of Alison Krauss. Um, that is somebody that I would love to work with. And, um, hmm, oh, there's so many, it's kind of hard to decide. Mm-hmm. Um, John Mayer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dream. Yeah. Dream team. Yeah. Um, that's, that was my three questions. That They were good answers. <laughs> <laughs> I love, that's the thing. I think there is obviously so many, I'm sure. There um, are so many, yeah. But it's, it's just nice to kind of see, you know, different people and, and what you think. And I love that, obviously, you can hear, as you said, your 90s influence, obviously, with Dixie Chicks. Patty Loveless and that. Um, are they, is there people now in this era, is there anyone that you are working with or have worked with that you kind of want to just say to people, like, keep an eye out for these people or keep an eye out for these songs? Anything that's coming up you've been a part of that you want to kind of advertise, I suppose? Yeah, well, I can tell there, there, um, there is a young artist that I think is gonna just blow up. Um, she's phenomenal. Her name is Callista Clark. Uh, she's 16 and um, signed a big machine. And um, she is just really kind of the trifecta of talent. She is an amazing voice. She plays guitar, amazing piano, amazing. And she's a really good writer. Mm-hmm. So I think that's somebody uh, to keep our eye on. Um, there is a guy um, named Baker Grissom, who is an artist, writer, um, great voice, great writer. And I think we're going to be hearing a lot from him. And there is another artist. Um, she's already got a few things out, but um, I know they're about to release more music because they're putting something that we wrote out together. But uh, her name's LJ. If you're not familiar with LJ, her voice is so cool. She has such a cool vibe and um, just a very distinct thing. And you just want to get to know her and her music. So those are the three that I would say, keep your eyes and ears mm-hmm. open. For her. Yeah. Perfect. And then I will leave you in a moment to, to sing us a song. But what's next for you? Um, well, so yeah, the Rascal Flatts thing just came out. Um, and yeah, um, on August 21st, I've got a couple other songs coming out that I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. 
So um, that's very soon. And then, yeah, just um, I'm like you said, what's next? That's what I'm always, always thinking when I'm in the writing room. Like, all right, what's the next thing? So, yeah, just working hard with keeping my head down writing. And it's a good time to do that because we're all kind of home a lot. And so, um, yeah, I'm excited for this next chapter. Awesome. Well, I, I cannot thank you enough. It's been so great to chat and to find out the ins and outs of, of your time in Nashville and your life. Um, so thank you so much. Um, but I will leave you now um, if you are happy to play us out. Absolutely. I'd, I'd be honored. Thank you. All right. Well, I thought, um, I thought since uh, the Rascal Flats thing just came out, I will, if that's okay, I'll play that song for us. Yes, that'd be perfect. Okay. Beer turning the bourbon, bourbon and wine. One drink turning to the rest of the night. Waiter, we were feeling stronger than bust. Don't know what to call it, but whatever it was. I hope you feel it. I hope you feel it. I hope you feel it in the morning. I hope you feel it. I hope you feel it. I hope you feel it in the morning. Cause I know I couldn't sleep it off even if I tried. I know this feeling's taking over for more than tonight. I'm gonna feel it. So I hope you feel it. Yeah. I hope you feel it in the morning. Cause Thank you.